Hello, and welcome to the Chronicle of the Horse podcast. I'm Molly Bailey, senior reporter for the Chronicle of the Horse. Before I introduce our guest, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Coro. Check out Coro, the new online destination for all your horse's favorite brands and products, always at the best prices. The team at Coro cares about you and your horse, providing the best shopping experience and modern conveniences to save you both time and money. Whether it's finding the products you need, scheduling them for auto ship, or choosing flexible payment options, they're focused on making your shopping simple so you can put your attention where it belongs on your horse. Visit coroshop.com. That's C-O-R-R-O-S-H-O-P.com and use the code COUGH at checkout to save 10% off their already best prices on your first or next Coro order. The coronavirus pandemic is on everyone's minds and today my colleague, Managing Editor Sarah Leeser, will be talking with an equestrian doctor who's on the front lines of battling this disease. Thanks so much, Molly. I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Dr. Carly Cook. Carly is an avid amateur equestrian and a second year medical resident in the Family Medicine Residency Program at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center. That means she's working in Oklahoma's largest hospital system in Oklahoma City on a daily basis. Carly, I really, really appreciate you coming on the podcast today to talk about what it's like right now on the front lines fighting the coronavirus. Hey, thanks. It's, I'm really happy to be here. Let's start by just talking a little bit about your day-to-day. I know that everything's changing really fast. Can you share what the coronavirus situation looks like right now at the, at the hospital, at the medical center? Yeah. Um, so, uh, like you said, I'm in Oklahoma City. Um, Oklahoma isn't uh, quite hit as hard yet by the coronavirus as other places in the United States. Um, particularly on the coasts like New York and California. Um, so we definitely haven't peaked yet and um, are, we're kind of predicting that the worst is yet to come and that we think that's going to be the last couple weeks of April. Of course, that's just a guess, but um, we're kind of in that preparation stage of uh, getting ready for the worst. Tell me what that looks like. Are you getting daily updates? What what does preparation look like for you guys, you health workers yeah. right now? Yeah, so um, in the family medicine department right now, um, we have changed a lot of things. Uh, in the clinic setting itself, uh, half of our clinic has now changed into a respiratory care clinic. Um, we're doing triage basically at our front door. Everyone that comes to the front doors gets screened, gets their temperature taken, answers some questions. Uh, if they screen positive that they could be a potential um, COVID patient, they get directed to the respiratory care center. Uh, and the providers on that side of the clinic are always in full PPE. Um, and that also leaves another part of our clinic to be uh, you know, hopefully COVID-free to where um, the non-COVID patients can still come and see their doctors if needed. Um, we also, we've done a lot of training recently. Um, some of that training includes telemedicine. Um, I'm seeing a lot of my patients 
uh, via telehealth right now, which is definitely a change from face-to-face -face visits. Uh, I've gotten a lot of extra training recently in ventilator management uh, in case I need to get pulled uh, into the ICU and in intensive care settings. Um, we've also had uh, training on how to detect COVID in the lungs via ultrasound. Um, our clinic doesn't have a CT scanner, uh, so in case in case we need to, we're questioning the diagnosis, we can use the ultrasound for that. Um, and we've also done palliative care training, ex extra palliative care training, particularly in the setting of if we are going to need to have a conversation with patients and family about not being able to intubate them in the setting of we're running out of ventilators. So that's been particularly hard. Uh, and our, my residency, the family medicine residency itself, we've actually added on a new rotation for us residents. Uh, we normally change rotations every single month at the beginning of the month. And starting April 1st, we rolled out a disaster relief rotation and a certain uh, set of people will be uh, meeting every day and going basically somewhere in the hospital that they are needed, whether that's extra coverage in the hospital or the ICU or the ER or triage or palliative care, uh, anywhere where they're needed, uh, even covering shifts for people that might be sick or out with COVID. So lots of train or lots of changes recently and basically everything. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like um, a lot to take in and process. Are you gonna be doing that rotation, the disaster rotation, do you think? Yeah, so right now, um, this month and next month, I'm gonna be on what are essential rotations that I can't be pulled from. Um, right now I'm doing um, night shifts on the labor and delivery floor. And next month I will be just doing hospital service. Um, but by June, uh, if it's still needed, I could potentially get pulled from that rotation to be one of the disaster relief people. As a doctor, you've trained for it. How do you feel about that idea? I think I kind of go back and forth on that. Um, you know, I at first when this was all starting to kind of get scary and, uh, you know, near the end of February and beginning of March, um, I think I was stressed and a little overwhelmed by all the information and you know, the 15,000 emails you get every day about policy change and what's going to happen. And But I think the more training I got and the more prepared we got, the better I felt. Um, but there are definitely still days that it can be really scary. I think recently in the news, there's been some reports about residents um, dying of COVID. And that mm -hmm. kind of hits home, um, you know, when you can relate to someone that spent their whole life, you know, training in the medical field and we're getting so close to the end of our training and to pass away from, from something like this when they're putting their lives on the line, that's pretty scary. So, you know, it, it kind of go back and forth. I, I try not to watch the news too much and just kind of stick with the facts and stick with the information that's coming through my program and hospital because it can be a lot. For sure. I think everybody's feeling stressed and you must be feeling 
doubly so, because um, you really are in the line of fire. Personal protective equipment has been in the news a lot too, and you said you guys are getting extra training around that, and you have one whole side of the family medicine practice that is constantly wearing their PPE. Okay. Is that, um, yeah. are you guys worried about running out or about how to use what you have? Yeah, I, I think everyone's worried about running out right now. I mean, it's a real fear and it seems to be that the healthcare workers that are succumbing to COVID are, it's usually because they don't have enough PPE or inadequate PPE to even get them through their shifts. So I'm definitely worried about that. But um, fortunately right now, uh, at least at my hospital, we are doing okay. We have it. We have enough. Um, we are being asked to reuse it as much as possible, um, particularly the N95 masks. Um, we've been asked to use them until they're either uh, soiled or wet. So we're doing everything we can to preserve what we have. Um, but I imagine that in the next few weeks, um, by the end of April, when where you're predicting this surge to hit, uh, I hope we're not going to be in the same situation as other hospitals, but it's definitely a fear. For sure. Um, and now the CDC has come out with this recommendation that people try to wear homemade masks or cloth masks or whatever kind of masks they have when they're out in public. And I imagine you have some concerns that they're show, you know, so many people are asymptomatic and they are you know, yeah. so you're screening people, but how do you screen people who are asymptomatic? Right. Yeah. No, that is probably one of the scariest things about this virus is that, you know, they're predicting up to 80%, which we're not sure about that number, of course, because we don't have enough testing um, to test everyone even right now. Um, but up to 80% of people could be asymptomatic, and, and that's really scary. Um, you certainly, especially as a healthcare worker, don't want to be the one that's asymptomatic that's carrying it around. So, you know, the the face masks and stuff, it can't hurt. Um, some there's some debate about whether or not they can increase your risk of catching like airborne illnesses. Um, but I think the thought is that if you are the asymptomatic carrier. Um, then it's more to protect others uh, from you spreading it to them than you catching it. Have you seen patients that you thought were positive, whether that was telemedicine or in person? Yeah, we have, especially, um, you know, kind of at the beginning, um, before we kind of rolled out this new system of trying to uh, separate the potential COVID patients and not. Um, we were having our regular patients come to the clinic for sick visits and we'd get into the room and they'd say, I'm having a fever, cough, and shortness of breath. And I, you know, just traveled from somewhere outside the United States and it's, oh, oh crap, get out of the room, get your PPE on, close the door, um, and we're testing them. Uh, and so I think that was scary at the beginning before all these protocols kind of rolled out. Fortunately, we were able to change things really quickly. Um, and so now, you know, it, coming into the room, we know ahead of time whether or not we think they're a suspected COVID. But at the beginning, it was certainly kind of scary. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then I understand you're married, right? Your husband's name is Ben? Yes. And so you're also worrying about probably bringing things home to him. How's your personal life given what's going on in your work life? Yeah, so um, that's definitely a fear. Um, I certainly, since Ben and I live in the same home, obviously he's pretty much at as high as risk of I, as I am. Um, whenever I get home, I change in the garage now. Um, I take my scrubs off, um, put them directly into the washing machine to get washed, um, and then I have a robe that I use that I walk directly from the garage into the uh, bathroom to shower, um, trying to limit exposure, leave the shoes out in the garage and stuff too. Um, but it is scary thinking about that I could, you know, bring it home to Ben. I've definitely been crazy about cleaning and wiping things down and washing our hands and, uh, you know, outside of work, just practicing appropriate social distancing and, you know, staying at home. Uh, right now in Oklahoma, we're um, being asked to um, stay in place as much as possible. So we are definitely abiding by that. Yeah, I'd imagine that with the consequences so directly in front of you of not doing that, it's a lot of motivation. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and you're also part of, I understand you're part of this special women's equestrian physicians Facebook group. So you're getting a lot of yeah. contact with doctors from all around the country. Can you share a little bit more about what you all are talking about there? Yeah, um, that is the physician women's equestrian group. Um, I got added to that group um, almost a year ago now, and it's exactly what it is. It's a Facebook group full of physicians. Um, who are also horse lovers, they've been really great. It's it's really nice to have that kind of support. Um, we kind of, you know, do a lot for each other, lots of virtual happy hours and watch parties for horse movies. And, uh, you know, when pre-quarantine time, we would get together in real life or meet up at horse shows and we do gift exchanges and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But recently they've been, you know, particularly, particularly helpful because we're kind of all going through this awful thing together. Um, you know, some of these uh, women are on the coast and they've already been hit pretty hard and kind of sharing their stories and their advice um, has been really great. You know, my hospital today decided that the intubation cutoff age is 60 or I was at Walmart wearing a mask today and some guy came up and intentionally coughed in my face or, you know, three out of the five of my COVID patients didn't make it today. Um, and so it's very much real life. Uh, and it kind of keeps you connected and makes you aware of the things that really are happening without having to be, you know, bombarded with news. But, you know, we share good things too, even if it's simple things like, I got to go out and groom my horse today and we share pictures and, you know, there's lots of foals being born right now. Uh, lots of pictures of baby horses, you know, all, all the good and the bad. And, and they've just been really, really supportive. Yeah. It seems like that's a really important thing for all of us right now. I mean, 
virtual happy hours have become a thing and (laughs) so it's it's awesome that you have this virtual group already um but i don't know if people necessarily think about how physicians are but we're all thinking about how to handle it but you guys are under twice as much stress and it must be really helpful to have this group of people and also just to ask questions because yeah it feel like a little bit of a preview sometimes preview of things to come yeah Definitely. And that's, you know, kind of adds to some of the anxiety and some of the fear, but also at the same time, almost makes it seem a little more fathomable and not just something that is on the news that's not going to happen to you. And so, so it is a good thing kind of hearing those firsthand stories to kind of get your, get your mindset right for what's to come. Now, I understand your boarding barn is closed now, right? So you can't go see your horse? Yes, that is correct. I um, have a horse named Sylvia. Um, I've had her going to be nine years this year. Um, I bought her when she was just three. Um, So she's been with me for most of college and all through medical school and now, you know, most of residency. And this is the longest I've not seen her in, in a long time. It's almost been two weeks now since we closed down. Yeah, so you're going through something that a lot of horse people are going through too right now. If your stress reliever is not an option. Yes. Or one yeah. of the things it's, that you used to relieve stress. Yeah. She pretty much is my main stress reliever uh, on a daily basis. You know, my daily exercise and outdoor time and just unplug time. And um, I'm lucky I've you know, throughout residency, I typically ride, you know, most days of the week. And I don't have to say this to fellow horse lovers that it makes such a difference. Um, You know, pre-quarantine, work can still be really hard. Residency is particularly hard. Um, We work 80 hours a week and, you know, we only get one day off a week a lot of the times and switching between nights and day shifts and our shifts are hardly ever less than 12 hours. And so even outside of a global pandemic, she's always, she's always been my stress relief and the way to keep, you know, my mental health sound and keep me going and has helped me through a lot of those long hours and bad patient outcomes and hard lessons so far. And I think now we're kind of all going through the worst of the worst and it's pretty much the worst timing ever to not be able to ride. Um, but at the same time, I'm I'm very grateful. My horse is a, a really great barn. Um, you know, she is getting well taken care of now. She is being ridden most days of the week. I'm getting pictures. I FaceTime, um, you know, getting updates. So a lot of people to even have that kind of support for their horses right now. And I know a lot of people are struggling financially um, because of this pandemic. So I do consider myself lucky to, to know that my horse is being taken care of while I have to take care of my patients. But it is really hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really hard. And we're all so thankful that you are risking your health and working so hard right now to help take care of people. Um, are there other things you want people to know right now about doctors and healthcare workers? 
Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, recently I've felt a lot of support my family and the community and, um, you know, I've received a postcard in the mail the other day from an anonymous person just saying thank you for what you're doing and, you know, I'm enjoying my free cup of coffee from Starbucks and all kinds of different things and it, it really does make a difference. It really, really means a lot. But I also do think that, you know, after this pandemic, after we get over this, doctors and nurses and all healthcare workers, we're still going to be working hard and we're still going to be putting ourselves at risk in some sense. And so I just encourage people, you know, not to not to forget that a thank you goes a long way and not to forget to thank your doctors really does make a difference and for us. And I also think, you know, kind of outside of the medical community, I think the equestrian community is so, so important right now. Um, I am really leaning on my horse friends right now. Um, you know, we're, you know, sharing educational videos from equestrian coach and, you know, we're sharing, you know, breaches that we want to buy and encouraging each other to either buy or not buy them. And, um, I'm leaning on them a lot, more, more than I normally would without my actual horse being there. Um, my horsey friends have become like, you know, doubly as important. Um, I think the equestrian community itself is really special. It's really hard to explain to people um, just how much your horse means to you when they, you know, don't experience that themselves. All these people that have reached out to me and asked how you're doing, I honestly, my biggest thing right now is I just miss my horse. And, uh, you know, that's, that's hard for them. And so in the equestrian community, though, I can say, man, I, I really miss my horse. And they get it. Um, whether you're a healthcare worker or not. So, you know, lean on your horsey friends right now. Um, my heart goes out to everyone that can't see their horse right now. It's, it sucks and it's hard, but you know, just support each other and take this time to learn as much as you can. You know, I've been riding for almost 20 years now and I caught myself watching a video on how to groom your horse the other day. <laughs> you know, not that I haven't groomed horses a million times by now, but even the, even the basics and the small stuff like that are kind of getting me through this, this horseless time. That's awesome that you're still learning something, even though it's a, you know, you don't have a lot of time, but you can still get your little horsey fix from a video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. And thank you so much for what you're doing, because we are all really relying on our doctors and our healthcare workers right now. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's, it's been really great. I, like I said, I, very much rely on the equestrian community. It's, you know, the most important part of my life, really. And so I appreciate all the support and I feel lucky to be a part of this community. And I hope that we can all get through this together. We feel lucky to have you as part of the equestrian community. Carly, thank you. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Chronicle of the Horse podcast. We really appreciate Dr. Cook for coming on the show. And thank you to our sponsor, Coro. You can find a link to our sponsor in the show notes accompanying this episode at cough.com. 
We look forward to our next episode and you can expect new podcasts in your feed every month. You can listen at cough.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Please do follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Chronic Horse. Thanks for listening.